I am Joe Posnanski, and uh, I I can't even begin to describe how excited I am uh, for this. As as all of you know, uh, regular podcast co-host Michael Shore is off uh, making the fourth season of uh, whatever television show he does, and uh, and so we we are we are doing a cavalcade of stars as as guest hosts and. I could not be more excited about this week. Really, really thrilled because our co-host this week is Gary Goldman. Gary, welcome. Hi, Paz. Hi, Joe. (laughs) This is so great. This is so great to have you on here as as co-host of uh, of the podcast. Yeah, I'm very excited and I'm honored that you you chose me and I I look forward to, to doing this and this all started because of a performance in a synagogue <laughs> last, as, as all ago. great stories do yeah two summers ago i think yeah. and and it's funny because you 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 did the performance and and of course i was already a fan but i was there in the audience and we started talking afterward and the thing that thrilled me and the thing that made me uh believe that that you are you are the perfect uh, Michael Shore guest uh, fill-in co-host or whatever this is this supposed to be. Um, during the during the performance, you were talking about uh, about baseball, and somebody <laughs> brought Rod Carew up, and so it was completely. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't the first time that's happened to you, but somebody brought up Rod Carew, and you immediately, off the top of your head, brought up his 388 batting average <laughs> uh, in, his, in his best season. And that blew me away. I was like, okay, this guy's real. This guy is for real. Because yeah, everybody everybody claims to be kind of a sports fan. You know, right. every, everybody in entertainment. But to pull 388 out, that was impressive to me. It's so interesting because in, in a lot of ways, that type of obsession should disqualify most people from, <laughs> from friendship. Because it, it means that at one point in our lives, we were... We were really lonely. I, I think that's yeah. what it what it comes down to. I have this this theory on on free throw shooting. I, I don't know if I if I talked about this on stage yet when when you saw me last, but I I feel that if if you give me your high school free throw shooting percentage, varsity, JV, whatever it is, I can tell you what time your single mom got home from work at night, and. <laughs> And I was I was about a ninety four percent free throw shooter in, in the high school, and my my mom would get home around eleven o'clock from being the the she was she was she had a job that was obsolete even before the the she was the cafeteria woman in the Sears cafeteria. She ran the Sears cafeteria where I where I grew up. And and not only is that cafeteria no longer there, but but the Sears has been has been yeah. toppled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has been it has been toppled. It it is really actually blows my mind that I used to always and that this wasn't like a one thing. This was year after year after year. Always get my glasses from Sears, the optical oh, department wow. at Sears. Yeah, they had sure, a great optical sure. department. They did. They they absolutely did. They even had a little song. Do you remember that commercial, the optical department at Sears? Like they had like this whole thing, <laughs> and 
I, you know, and that's the thing that people say like, oh, Amazon is the world's biggest company. Yeah, okay, fine. It'll never be bigger than Sears because Sears literally got into your life in every conceivable way. Yes, yes. And and that jingle for for the, the optical <laughs> department was was actually written by John Prime. I don't know if you know that, but yeah. I did, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great it's a great piece of trivia. So I'm I'm I'm, 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 I'm gonna use it. I don't care if it's true or not. I don't care. Uh, I'm gonna use it. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> so, but wonderfully, John Prine is the perfect name to have made that up. Because I Bob know. Dylan would have been, people would have said, "There's no way." But John Prine, you can think, well, there might have been a time where where Prine needed needed the money, and he just completely phoned it in. He's just like, "Fine, well, I can, I can do that. I can. Yeah. It'll take me five minutes to do that. Right. Yeah, it's great." It's great. All right, so we are going to we are, we are gonna we are gonna have our draft and and everything else. Uh, but first, I I think we we have to begin here. Michael uh, is also a uh, Boston area guy, uh, New England guy, and uh, so we often talk about his love of the the Patriots. Um, so I have to ask you because you are a Patriots uh, fan as well and and a Boston guy. Um, how do you live with yourself? Like, how do you, like, how, how do you, how do you, because, because you're a thoughtful guy. You're, 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 you're somebody who you're, you're very much uh, a guy who, who empathizes with, with others. How do you, how do you stay a Patriots fan when all they ever do is win Super Bowls for you? Well, I'm, I'm a Patriots admirer, I think at, at this point, I'm, I'm no longer a, yeah. a fanatic and I am so turned off by Patriots fans because they're they're so spoiled and I don't know if you had any interaction with with Patriots broadcasters or journalists this year but the entire year they they were just denigrating the the Patriots and saying that Brady had had finally started to slip that Gronkowski was no longer Gronkowski and that Belichick made poor decisions all the entire season, up until the Super Bowl victory, all anybody wanted to talk about was the Malcolm <laughs> Butler decision from last year that they felt they were certain cost them the Super Bowl. And so that, and and then there are people who, even after they won that Super Bowl, all they really want to talk about is what a what a lousy game it was. So that these people that that. Let me just add to the to the hatred of Patriots fans. These people who you hate, they're not even enjoying the Patriots run. They they really aren't. Uh, up until the the fourth quarter of the Atlanta Falcons game, they were sick of of this team and the 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 Seahawks miracle. Up until that that interception, they hated the Patriots. They're just insufferable. And uh, and I'm I'm so tired of them, and I I I must say that going into to this game, I really wasn't that concerned whether they won or lost until they were in it. And once they were in it, my I, a, a, a switch flipped, and all of a sudden I was nervous and and I was pacing. But I I must say that I, I've I've never watched fewer regular season games than I than I watched this year. I, I recorded all of them and then there were there were 
two games that I still haven't haven't watched. One wow. of them was the was the Pittsburgh Steelers game, and which they lost, and then another one was a was a Buffalo Bills game that I that I didn't have time to watch because of of traveling, and I I I, I just have been so soured on on this fan base by the by the the local talk radio i i really used to look forward to listening at least after victories and now even after victories unless it's the final game of the season they find so many holes and and so many things to complain about and so many things to undermine them that it's it's just they've taken all the joy out of out of this this team and and i i don't think anybody is is remembering how inept they were for so many years it was it was just run on first down run on second down pass on third down punt on fourth down every single <laughs> sunday and a lot of the games weren't even televised because they didn't sell enough tickets so they were blacked out and it it's just so so infuriating and the same thing has happened with the red Sox, and the the only team now that that people seem to be have have some joy with was last year when the celtics made a run people were not people were not upset at them that they didn't win the the championship they they had a good time with this team and they overachieved and and that was really fun but the patriots and red Sox have have largely been been ruined by by just the most spoiled fans you can imagine well i do wonder it is something i've talked about with mike and i do wonder if this is true obviously it was you know and and mike will always talk about how miserable it was when when the the drought was going on and the the red sox never won and all the heartbreak and all that but i do wonder if the new england sort of spirit wasn't better matched up to suffering than it is (laughs) to to winning you know I think that I think that may be the case. I think you're you're on to something that they they there there was a pride in the suffering that probably goes back to the to the Puritans. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. It, it just feels like and you know and and we actually did, talked about this when we were talking about the Cubs when the Cubs finally won. And and I said of course you're going to feel incredible joy with the Cubs winning. You're a Cubs fan all your life. You're you're dad was a Cubs fan your grandmother was a Cubs fan all these people all this suffering and then and then finally you know Chris Bryant makes the throw across the diamond and you win the the World Series and and you have that great moment and of course it's it's this incredibly triumphant moment but then you're a regular team you're just another team now you're just yes. you're just the, you're just the Cubs you're they're, they're they're good you're good and I'm sure the joy is way better nobody likes being in the middle of all that suffering but you do wonder if Cubs fans were better at the going to the ballpark and drinking beer and thinking they're never going to win than you are at, you know, Hey, now suddenly the team hasn't won the world series last two years and what's going on. And, and, and does manager need to be fired and everybody's, you know, you're just a regular team. You're just a regular good team. And, and some of that, some of that character that made you so special uh, is gone, I, and I do wonder about that a little bit. Yes, and and I and I think that the the manner in which the Cubs and the Red Sox undid their their respective curses was so dramatic that it's yes. so difficult to to even come close to to replicating that. The way the Red Sox overcame a three nothing against the the Incredible. Yankees. 
it, it was it was incredible. It, it may never happen again, and it'll never be the the same again. It's the, it's the same way. There there may be a better player than Michael Jordan, but though when it's the first, it, yeah. it's it's yeah. hard it's hard to it's hard to make that happen again. And and I, I just every every World Series win by the Red Sox is is fun, and it's and it's nice but i i really felt satisfied and and rooted for the cubs starting in in 2005 and i and i always had a soft spot for the cubs because the fans were so so dedicated and and so committed and so knowledgeable and knew knew their baseball the interesting thing about a lot of boston fans is they only know the local teams and they don't know college and they're 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 not very very knowledgeable about anything that happens outside of of Massachusetts, so that, that that's disappointing. But the Cubs fans really know their their baseball, and so I, I really admired them and I rooted for them and was so happy when they when they finally won. And I I must admit that I felt similar feelings when the Philadelphia Eagles won. I was disappointed that the Patriots lost because I thought that was such a great team and and they they had had such a, a a fun run to the Super Bowl last year, but I was happy for all my Philadelphia friends who who have who have I don't think they had ever seen a, a Super Bowl champion. So that that was yeah. Well, that's right, that was and, great. and it was it was great, and and yeah, that's sort of where I am. I mean, I you know, and it's fortunate because I grew up in Cleveland, so I don't have to worry about my own team being involved. Uh, and <laughs> and but I, I do. I rooted for the the Cleveland Indians a, a couple of years ago too, so yeah, I, yeah, feel, I yeah. feel for them. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, it's it, there is something to it, and 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 Mike talked about it with the with the the Eagles, and but but it's so funny because he so he he actually went, he got to go to the Super Bowl, and wow. he brought his son with him, which is awesome, and and you know, uh, have, you, have he, you ever been to a Super Bowl? Uh, this, this is going to come out so badly. I, I apologize in advance. I've been to 18 Super Bowls. Oh my so, word. <laughs> so, so I, I apologize in advance for that, but I never have gone as a fan. So okay. it is, it is okay. different. And of course wow. my, the, the Browns have never been at all. So I don't have to worry about it, uh, as a fan, but I, I don't know what it would be like as a fan. I don't think I would like it. I'm not, I'm not a big crowd person anyway. And you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's something as a, as a sports writer to go and to cover it and to, you know, be in the middle of it. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's fascinating in its own ways, but he brought his son to the, to the game. And obviously his son is a Patriots fan because he's a Patriots fan and, sure. and, you know, but he went and he had the same sort of mixed feelings that you, he was like, look, you know, we've won it so much. Who cares if we win anymore? And the Eagles haven't won. It would be great. But then he got to the game and yes. a bunch of Eagles fans started yelling at him. Yes. And, you know, his kid. And they're yes. saying stuff to his son. I mean, oh, gosh. So, you know, so at that point, of course, you, then you all you want oh, yeah. to lose, right? Of course. So. Oh, my word. <laughs> but it is funny, though, because I think your point about not caring about the Super Bowl until it began is I think that that's – I don't know that you can turn it off. I mean, because you can, like, logically say – Oh, how much more can you win? Any, you know, the Patriots win every year. And Tom Brady, what is that number? Tom Brady's been to how many championship games? Like sixteen or something like that. Like it's some insane number of AFC championship games he's been to. Right. And you can honestly say, okay, enough. Enough is enough here. But and the game starts, and your kid inside you kicks in. Right. I mean, there's no way around that. 
Yes, it's it's so interesting. But my my friend who I've been friends since we were sixth or seventh grade, he he came to the he was in sixth grade, I was in seventh grade, and he came to watch the game, and I I said, why do we care? Why do we still care at this <laughs> at this age? And and he's. He's not an overly sentimental guy. His name is Jason Hurwitz, and, and he said, "It's good that we care. It's good. This is a good. This is a good feeling. Stop beating yourself up for for caring about these these teams. I, I think it's a it's a moral and ethical thing to root for your for your home team, but I I I think it it's turned in in Boston to a thing where you not only root for them, but you you feel this this entitlement to criticize them." unmercifully and and be be cruel and and just obnoxious and it and it, it really it really bothers me well and and i can see that because i can see that because i've actually finally had my own little experience with this all my childhood all my uh sort of young adulthood and then all my adulthood i've always said look if just just i just want one I just want one right. championship as a fan, right? It's all yes. I want. It's all I want. Yes. And, you know, when I was closing in on 50, the the Cavaliers win that championship. And I have to say, I didn't care if they ever won again. I still don't. I, right. I th- That's it. They won. And when LeBron, yes. they got to the finals the next year, you know, of course, you sure I would, it would be great if they won. I didn't think they were good enough to win. They weren't good enough to win. Then they get back to the championship again the next year. I'm like, that's amazing. They've gotten all these championships. Incredible. And they, and they lost. And, and it's like, oh, who cares? I, did, I didn't even feel even a tiny bit of it right. because like, they won a championship. So I I guess I really do feel like, and maybe maybe you felt that way after the first one, and then but then the second one comes, and then the third one, the fourth one, and then after a while it, it changes. But I really do feel like, I, I don't know that it, I'd feel so lucky. I would not, I would never criticize. If I was a Patriots fan, I would never criticize them. Never. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable (laughs) second guessing Bill Belichick or Tom Brady or anybody in that, in that organization for anything they do on the, on the football field. The, The interesting thing with your Cleveland Cavaliers is, is that my first team to win a championship was the was the Boston Celtics in in sure. 1981. Right. That was the first. I had been alive for a couple other ones, but I, I wasn't really conscious. And so they won in 1981, and I I think I would have been fine as long as the Celtics never won again. As long as the Lakers promised right. never to win another right. one, because right. for whatever reason we just could not stand the Lakers. And I look back on it now and they played a beautiful game of basketball. They were actually more attractive to watch than the, than the Celtics in, in, in that their, their fast break was, was so, so compelling. And, and they had like one thing I always wonder, and I, I, I try to ask every sports expert on this, why has nobody ever tried to master the sky hook? <laughs> It's a great question. It's a great question. I I think, uh, you you know, I have a sort of a a similar, a similar uh, one that I'm going to throw at you in a minute, but. Okay, good. Because I I have two or three of these and I would, I would love to go over these if we can. So yes, of course. That's exactly what we need to do. Okay, great. All right. So the sky hook, here's what I think. I think about the sky hook. I don't think anybody else can do it. 
I, wow. I think like, like there have been half hooks and remember that like right. Hakeem Olajuwon had like a, a little half hook and that little turnaround yes, jumper jump that was hook. amazing. Yep. That yeah. jump was incredible. Yeah. So I think that, but that specific sky hook where he holds the ball out there with that incredibly <laughs> long arm. Yes. I just don't think anybody else can do it. And the the ones that blow my mind, like if he's near the basket, you, first of all, he never missed ever, never, ever missed, never missed. And if he's near the basket, you're like, okay, look, he's seven, two and whatever. But some of those, he's like 12, 15 yes. feet away. And you're like, yes, that should not be possible. He's just throwing the ball in the basket. You yes, can't and do it was, that. Oh, it was just so gorgeous. And, and, <laughs> Of a different time and and unique. I loved it. I loved yes. it. Yeah, and I love watching it now. Yeah, but you know there was there were a few of those things. The George Gervin little finger roll, which right, you know, right. he would do from he would he'd also do that from like eight feet away or whatever. Yes. And all right, so my my return to you, and then you can come back. Why and as a as a great free throw shooter yourself, I could ask you this: Why is nobody shooting the underhand free throw? <laughs> why? Why that it works? We know it works. Yes. Do you think I, it's like pure shame? you think it's yes. just like a, at that point I've given up on life? I think it's purely aesthetic and and I, I partially get it because there is there is a version of, of basketball that you can play, which is perfect fundamentals and and it's attractive in its own way. but then there's this this sort of I always think of the scene in, in airplane, which is which is problematic, <laughs> but they, they're teaching a two hand set shot and these guys go out and dunk the basketball. Right, right. There, there, there are a couple of different versions of, of each shot that you can make. And, and it's there's so much improv and they've compared it to jazz over and over again. So I, 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 I think it's purely aesthetic. And the, and the free throw is this. I, can you even remember being in high school? It was it was this great thing because every was everyone was stopping to watch you, and there were if you were on the road, there was a lot of noise. It was it was sort of like you had the you had the microphone when you were on the when you were at the at the free throw line. So I I, I think that that it's purely aesthetic that it's not as as attractive to shoot underhand, and the the problem is is that the most famous one. More most recent one was probably Rick Barry, yeah. and he was, I think, universally reviled in the league, <laughs> and, and to this day. Um, but that's a great way to think of it. I, I had not thought of it that way. I have thought about it being, you know, it's, okay, look, it's it's embarrassing. It's it. You, you basically have given up hope. I mean, uh, remember Wilt Chamberlain? I guess tried it for a little while, and yeah, didn't, didn't Shaq kind of mess around with it in practice yes. or whatever? So, so I think you're it's sort of the last hope. But I love your idea of like that's your. It's you're you're the headliner. You're the that's your moment with the microphone. And why would you take that moment and then shoot it underhand? I guess that would be the ad. It'd be like I'm finally on stage. It's yeah. my moment, and I'm not gonna do that. I'm not. Yes, doing that. yes. Yeah. And you would. I would think you would have to practice it in high school to get good enough to do it at the at the next level. And right. you and, would be. I mean, that's when you're at your most self conscious. So I I think that's part of it. That is true. It would be tough to to get a date. Uh, if you're shooting, a <laughs> just, yeah. Either way, I mean, I, the women too. I mean, it just would be right. tough to. It would be tough to yeah. to get that uh, to make that happen. All right. Do you have any others? Yes. Why is it that a kicker is never the punter and vice versa? They could <laughs> open up a roster spot, and and this guy has so much. I mean, I played in in high school, and and in in high school the kickers 
would have different positions. So they would practice with the position players. But in right. in college, they would just punt and kick, and they never were out there for the full <laughs> practice. They would they would just be part of certain certain schemes. And they had all kinds of time. And there, there was a point in our season where the, where the place kicker did punt at, at Boston College, this guy named Brian Lowe. And, and he was really great at, at both. But I, I don't understand why there hasn't been a, a guy who can do both. I think he would be so valuable. And he would earn at least twice as much money as just a punter or a kicker. That really is true. I, it, it seems to me... That that is that's sort of it's amazing to me that if anybody hasn't done it, that Belichick hasn't done it. Like Belichick right. would be the guy to find the guy who kicks and punts. That used to happen, of course, back yeah. you know in 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 the day when punters and kickers were also defensive tackles. You know, they just <laughs> right. did, did did everything right. You just right. you know yeah. the whole thing. Um, but I really I think here's here's what I honestly believe, and and it's it's something that I a lot of people disagree with me on. I think that there are that sports there's like a ceiling for for sports to a point where it's entertaining and everything above that uh potentially could not be entertaining. So for instance, if we would suddenly all have like we would grow to be 9 feet tall, basketball would no longer be that entertaining if you had a bunch of 9 right. footers on the with a 10 foot floor. I think kickers have gotten too good. I think that wow. the idea of kicking used to be that was a tough thing to do to to kick the ball, uh, you know, through those goalposts from anything beyond whatever thirty five yards. It was like a, it was like you know, and they were everybody was a straight on kicker uh, who then you know immediately had to go on the field and be the safety. So it was it right. was like, I think that was sort of the whole point of it, and that's why they were like, okay, we're giving you three points if you can get it through there and a, a, a whole point if you can just make a little short one after the touchdown or whatever. And then those guys got really, really, really good yeah. to the point where if you're a team now, you can't have a guy who's like, okay, well, that guy would have been a good kicker in the eighties or the seventies right. where he, you, he's got to be able to make 55 yarders consistently now. Right. Yeah. So, so I think that's what happened. I think, I don't think it's, it's as true for punters. I think punting, now punting to me more than ever, it sure seems like when we were kids, when we were young, you punters had to boot the ball a lot, like from yeah. deep in their own territory. Now it seems like they're always just trying to get it within the, you know, in the 10, inside the 10 yard line. Right. That yes. it feels like yes. that that's the way the game has, has moved and punters don't have to have a huge leg anymore as much as they have to be able to have that feel and precision of being able to put the ball where it is. So I think it's the specialization of the positions that, that it changed it. But I also think football should do something to make kicking harder. I, I, I think that there should be, I don't know what it would be. I don't know if it would be, you know, shortening the goalposts or, or, you know, the length between them or whatever, but I think it's become, you know, it got to the point where the extra point was such a joke. They moved it back. I mean, that, right. that's, where, that's how far we've come. And I still think it's, I don't think the game is necessarily better when, when you can line up for a, you would basically, if you have a 48 yard field goal to win, you would run out the clock right there and count on your kicker, making a four. Like I, when we were kids, 48 yard field goal was like a 50, 50 shot. Right. I mean, you know, and so I think that's part of it. I think that's my opinion. Oh no. I I think that's, I think that holds up. Yeah. That's a good one. There you go. That's very fun. All right. So mine to you. Um, 
Do you like or dislike, and I heard Chris Rock talking about this, do you like or dislike, no, it wasn't Chris Rock, it was somebody else, uh, the manager coming out when he takes the pitcher out of the game to take the ball, actually take the ball from the pitcher. I think it was Pat Oswalt that talked about this now. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Do you like that? He loves it. He thinks like the drama of it, like, give me that ball, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and having to actually, you know, send the guy to the showers, but leave the ball here. You know, he loved that, that whole dramatic scene. Do you like that? Do you feel like that adds to the pageantry of taking the pitcher out of the game or is it just kind of stupid? I do. I do like it. I do enjoy it. And I, and I enjoy a, a lot of the, the little traditions and rituals involved in, in baseball. I do wish that every once in a while, the pitcher refused to hand it over and flipped out and and it, it turned into a to a, a scene where where people were, were separated and and there was the there was a, a, a little bit of reluctance for for a manager to go out there too too soon but a lot of times now he has the the alibi of the of the pitch count and 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 you don't see that any that much anymore but but what what do you think do you do you like when the I, manager I, I do like it, and I would yeah. love to see. I wouldn't necessarily love to see uh, pitchers uh, like angrily try to stay in the game because I mean that's fine. <laughs> but I would love to see them like I'm not giving you the ball and just walk off yeah. the field with the ball. Like, yeah, you know, oh, that would be yes, <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Fine, I'm out, but the ball's coming with me, you know, and just and just walking off the field with the ball. Um, yes. I just think there should be more. It, I love it. I just think there should be even more drama attached to it. Just a little bit more of like, what's going to happen here? Is he going to give him the ball? Is he not going to get, I just think anything like that would, would add a little, a little fun to the game. Yeah. I, I think, I, I also think that perhaps they should change the, the rule about the, the pitcher coming in and, and warming up because yes. they, they've made it, they've been very careful to make sure that he's warmed up in the, in the bullpen and I, I just think they're they're wasting time by having him warm up under those circumstances. If he's had the time to warm up in the bullpen, they should be able to to wave the the on the mound warm up. That's a big that's a big theme uh, on the podcast. I mean, that's Mike and I are totally one hundred percent with you. Where that's a big theme because we, as we both pointed out, you in basketball you don't like bring a guy in and go wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me shoot ten free throws to kind of get right? myself oh, get myself a, a feel for the game. You know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, quarterback comes into the game like, all right, wait, I'll let the defense off the field. I just want to throw a few passes here on the field before I get started. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious! Yes, yeah. you, all this time they have this this special waiting room for you, <laughs> where you get to practice this thing you're you're about to do. You see guys in 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 basketball, they're on they're on a bike or they're in the the locker room doing jumping jacks. <laughs> These guys get to get to practice on the real equipment. Yeah, this is absolutely. A, a point that needs to be made. It does. It absolutely does. And and it slows the game down too. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's pointless. Yes. All right. Before we go to our draft. Uh, so one thing that we always do here on the podcast is we do the New York minute, New York Yankee minute, uh, where we uh, talk about how much we hate the Yankees. Yankee minute. And I assume that that this is this is part of your life. So I'm wondering if you have a story uh, or some remembrance of a Yankee moment that haunts you to this day. 
probably more than one. I'm sure you have plenty of Yankee. Yeah, Yankee. I have I have plenty, but it's <laughs> it's the most it's probably the most common one for for people my age. I was at my my uncle Norman's house in Situate, Massachusetts, and the the Red Sox were were playing in a in a one game playoff mm-hmm. in in October of 1978. And they they had blown a, a fourteen and a half game lead, and it was the first year I had really followed the Red Sox, and they were in, they were incredible. Jim Rice was had hit forty six home runs, and had I think a, I want to say a three twenty five or something around that batting average. And Freddie Lynn was on on the team, Rick Burleson and Yaz was on the team, and Carlton Fisk, and they they. I don't know what the odds were, but to, to me, there was no way they were going to lose to the Yankees. <laughs> and the, and the, they they gave up a home run to Bucky Dent that I didn't understand at the at the time how unlikely that was that Bucky Dent was not a power hitter. I had heard of him, so I figured, okay, why wouldn't he hit a home run? But but also it was it was it was not that it wasn't a, exactly a blast. And you can see in the replays that Carly Strzemski's legs buckle as he watches it go over the – I think it was Yaz in left field, although Yaz might have been playing first base. Whoever was the left fielder, his, his – maybe it was Rice. I can't – no, Rice was the left fielder, I think, at that point. Or maybe he was the DH. I don't know. For some reason, <laughs> the memory of a man's legs buckling as the ball went over the fence is coming to me. And then – they they made a comeback and I, and I really thought they had it. They had runners on base and Yaz popped out. I think to to Greg Nettles, who I don't I don't talk baseball enough or as much as you, but for some reason, maybe because he didn't make the Hall of Fame or maybe they've been so many great third basemen since him. But wasn't Greg Nettles a phenom at third base or am I? Or am I misremembering? No, you are remembering 100 percent right. Okay. I actually, I actually have a very strong feeling that Greg Nettle should be in the Hall of Fame. Actually. I do too. Yeah, yeah. It was Yaz in left field, by the way. Okay. All right. All right. I'm glad my memory serves. Yes. Yes. Actually, uh, was really good friends with uh, the umpire uh, who called that ball uh, home run, Steve Palermo. Uh, who passed oh, away Palermo was. Time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And Steve, he, he, was, he was a wonderful umpire. Wonderful. And a wonderful and, man, yeah. And I heard he was a good man. And my my brother, uh, my oldest brother Rick, actually was a fraternity brother with Stevens, Stevens' brother, his yeah. biological brother. Who and and I think he was a very successful businessman. Yeah, well, you know, he's from he's from your area, and and uh, yeah. Stevie just remembered that when he went home, his dad, his father, asked him why why'd you call that fair, <laughs> and. He said it was fair by like 50 feet. And he's like, yes. so what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story. I never heard that. It's really great. It's really great. So uh, that's good. That's a, that's an excellent Yankee minute. Um, the Yankees seem, you know, and, and, and this is what it is to be the Yankees. And of course, Yankee fans uh, know this. Um Everybody, they're they're everybody's hate, right? They're yeah. they're it's they you know because I grew up in Cleveland and we grew up in hating the Yankees. Obviously, nobody grew up hating the Yankees more than the Red Sox fans. But Orioles fans hate the Yankees, and Blue Jays fans hate the Yankees, and and uh, Dodgers fans hate the Yankees. And so you know that's that's what it is to be the Yankees. But the thing that that really is frustrating is just about every fan has not just the the sort of inbred hatred of the Yankees that comes with, with, with the most successful team, 
they have some personal story about how the Yankees haunted their lives. It just that that's that to me is the amazing thing about the Yankees is that no matter what team you root for, basically across the entire you know league, including National League teams, somehow the Yankees have screwed things up for you too. Well, I, I also think they contributed to the. Here's what irritates me more about if if I can be objective, Patriots versus Yankees for a moment. Sure. The, I understand why people hate the Patriots. There are a number of reasons to hate the Patriots, but one thing that that you need to admire is that they did it with one coach and one quarterback in a yeah. in a system that is is unique to them and has been been copied, and that involves hard work and and talent and they did it during a time when everything was stacked against them as far as trying to bring parity to the league and sure. the Yankees and for so many years were were just outspending everybody in free agency and and I I think that's what would contributes a lot to my to my hatred of them that that they that some of the championships and and also the glee I get when they when they lose after <laughs> buying Stanton most recently, I thought when they got him, I thought there's no way they're they're going to to lose. You can't you can't lose if you if you've got two guys who can hit 50 home runs right a, a season, and and yet they did, and it, and it made me really happy. <laughs> of course it did. It's Judd. That's that's you know that is yeah that is our that is our our role. Um, all right, before we go to the draft, I want one more question. I know, as I said, it was one okay. more, but it's a very simple uh, question for you. Assuming as you that you believe, as, as, as I'm sure you do, that the Patriots' success has been a, a, an extraordinary achievement uh, for, for uh, a lot of people, particularly for uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, which person between those two is more responsible for the Patriots run, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Oh gosh, I'm going to try to divorce myself <laughs> from the personal because I think, and and I could never prove this, and I don't know them personally, but it seems like Brady is a is a nicer person than it's Belichick. <laughs> hard not to be a nicer person, I think. Than yeah, Belichick, but, but yeah. I. I I kind of believe, I'm not saying Belichick could do it with with any quarterback because I don't think every quarterback has the the ability to to come through, but there have been some. There ha- there was a Joe Montana, and there there, and I can't think of anything anybody else who is who is as clutch as as Joe Montana. So so it's this is a really tough one because oh, yeah. other than Joe Montana I can't really think of anybody who was who was so clutch and and I'm not even I'm not even one of these guys who believes in, in clutch that that much the more I think about it like like our 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 friend Bill Simmons talks about the irrational confidence guy and I always think that that there's nothing irrational about the confidence that these guys have have developed over the years because they've succeeded at every level in dramatic yeah. fashion. If you if you've ever played against anyone who's played college basketball just on the team, didn't even stand out or make the NBA, you realize that they're they're playing a completely different game than than we are when they play basketball. And I'm yeah. sure it's the same way with every other 
every other sport. So the, the idea of somebody being clutch or, ch- or choking, I, it just doesn't make any, any sense to me. But having said that, I will give a, a partial nod to Bill <laughs> Belichick because I think that, that Brady had to be in this, in this system to find his, his ultimate self-actualization. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, I think it's a fascinating question. I think, and I, I it probably, really is. I would probably lean that way too, only because I've often said if, if Tom Brady had been taken in the sixth round by the Cincinnati Bengals, um, yes, he might never have played a down in the NFL, much less forget how good he would have been. I mean, you know, they, they, they would have, they would have looked, they would have said, all right, you know, whatever, all, whatever the reasons were, he didn't get taken to the sixth round in the first place would have kept him on some sort of taxi squad. If that, and, and those guys don't, you know, they, they might've had to go the Kurt Warner route and started playing like indoor football in yeah. order to get, you know, noticed. Yeah. That's interesting. There's sort of a, there, there's sort of a, a connection between Belichick and, and Brady because when Belichick, coached the Cleveland Browns. Yes. He had to replace a local icon, Bernie he Bernie did. Kosar. And right. maybe had had he not been able to withstand that, maybe he wouldn't <laughs> have been able to do the same thing for for Tom Brady later in his his career. It's all conjecture, but but that may have sometimes you do things and your stomach says, Oh, I can never do that again. And Belichick doesn't have one of those stomachs. I don't think. <laughs> he does. He does not. I think he says once he does things, he goes, "Oh, it'll be easier to do that the next time." Yes. I've already done it once, you know. Yes. So, yeah. All right. Well, this is great. So now it is time uh, for our draft, uh, which was uh, Gary Goldman approved. Uh, we are drafting, and and the great thing I love about this draft is, like all of the drafts that I do with Michael on the show, uh, literally one tweet like one text there, there's no explanation <laughs> there's no we, we might be thinking completely different things uh but we are drafting television and movie gangsters that is that is our draft um and you being uh the guest host you get the first pick oh this is this is so great even though i here's what i'm gonna do and I, and I hadn't thought about this until right now I know who I want to pick first. I know who the most valuable gangster in the draft is, but I know that you will not choose him. So I am going to. I'm such a. This is really this is a Belichick move. You're like I can get him in the third. I know yeah, I can get him in the third. This is this is so arrogant. Now I'll tell you once I draft the person who I think is the most valuable member of this this draft. But I'm I'm going to I'm going to choose someone else with the with the number one draft <laughs> pick, and so I'm I'm going to to take number one, and I and I think most people would have would have said this would be the this would be the the case, but I'm going to choose Michael Corleone with the number one pick in the in the 2019 gangster draft. Yes, yes. Explain explain yourself. So why are you choosing Michael Corleone? Because he he seems to have died of natural causes at the at the end of part three, as did as did the the movie run itself died of natural causes at the end of of part three, and and uh, he he lived a fairly comfortable life, and he was he was smart and he was interesting and he had 
there, there was some variety to his life. So I, I think just overall, if I was starting, if I was starting a syndicate, <laughs> I, while I wouldn't start with, with, with Michael Corleone, I, I think he would be very valuable in getting other members of my, my syndicate, which the syndicate, I just want you to know, will be run by somebody I'm going to draft later. So you're, so you're drafting Michael Corleone as a sort of vice uh, Don, like he's, I mean, he's not even, I think he'd make a, I think he'd make an incredible consigliere, (laughs) but uh, he's, he's not going to be running my, my syndicate, which, which. Well, no, knowing this, that's a terrible pick. Knowing that, that you're not even, you're not even giving him the syndicate. You don't want Michael Corleone as a backup because you're syndicate guy. The well, guy I might, I might, thing. I may wind up trading him. <laughs> that is true. He is excellent, excellent trade. He's an excellent no, asset. Yeah, he is an excellent asset to have. All right. Well, that's yeah. that's a that's it is an excellent pick, and of course he was uh, up at the top of mine as well. Uh, Most of the Alan, mock drafts had him at, at number one. <laughs> they, there, there. It really was. It was uh, one of those things where uh, you know him. His dad, both of them were, were very, very close. So it was very tough to to determine. But uh, yeah, I think Michael Corleone's an excellent first pick. Um, I have I have a, a complete order, of course, of the picks that I want to take. And there are several people on here that I really want to get. Uh, but now I'm so intrigued by who this person <laughs> is that I am not going to pick that you you believe is the number one overall. Um but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Do, I'm not gonna fall for that trap. That's that's like a Belichick trap where you're getting other people to reach, trying to figure out what you're going to. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not okay. gonna do that. That's with my first smart. pick, yeah, I'm gonna go with Tony Soprano as my first pick, um, because you know I I I think that that Tony Soprano is the the sort of there's the most depth of any. Uh, of any gangs because we got to see six years of him right. being being yes, in charge. That's a great you point. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of depth there. He's like there's a lot about him that's likable. Um and and I love a, a gangster who you're kind of like, hey, I like that guy. And then you watch him like beat the hell out of somebody and then you're oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, you know right. it's like yeah right. yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's a terrible, terrible person. So um but absolutely uh uh, sort of lives the life that I don't, I don't know how realistic any of them are. Like I, I, you know, I always, yeah, the Godfather is, is my favorite movie or one of my top three favorite movies. And, uh, but I've, I've always thought, you know, that, that the, the Godfather and Michael for that matter, uh, probably a lot smarter than, than real gangsters i mean they're, they're you know they, they seem to they seem to be thinking through a lot of things that i'm not sure real gangsters always thought through um tony soprano seemed seemed to me to be like he's kind of a meathead and and yes he, he's certainly very clever uh in a lot of ways but but he's 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 just a meathead and 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 uh and a likable one in some way so i'm taking tony soprano yeah, yeah he was very shrewd i mean i don't know if we'll come back to the godfather but in I'm at the point in watching The Godfather where I'm where I'm just very very critical of of a lot of it because I've seen it so many times and things sure. irritate me and and one of the things that irritates me is sort of the I don't know if it's a, if it's a faux intellectualism or a, a a certain magic or sorcery but one thing in particular is the is the scene in which in which in which The Godfather 
Vito Corleone tells Michael that the man who comes to him to propose the meeting will be the man who betrayed him. And at that meeting, you will be assassinated. And it's like, um, okay, show your work. Show your work, Vito Corleone. <laughs> this is this is completely absurd. You don't know this. That they, they, they kill Abe Vigoda based on this this magical thinking that they have entirely no proof. If Vigoda said no, it was it was it was Clemenza. There really wouldn't have been anything to argue with it. But he fessed up right away, and and there's no proof that Tessio was smarter than Clemenza. It's it's completely completely. Absurd. And, and then certain other dialogue points, like like when the when the, uh, the the head of the studio, Mr. Walls, says to 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 Tom, that I want to show you something beautiful. Do you enjoy beauty, Tom? What what kind of line is that? Who would you ever say that to? That has never been uttered by anyone. I'm I'm not expecting Mammoth or or Sorkin, but the the writing was just so stilted and, and, and shoddy and, and and I I just the the movie just doesn't doesn't hold up for me and except in that I, I laugh at these things now when I used to take them serious and think oh he's such a he's such a smart man and, and he could have been a leader in in any business and and people would laugh him out of the room with these things I I have always thought about if you knew that the person who came to the meeting is going to be the one that betrayed you how yeah. would you not know who it was? Like, wouldn't that be like, <laughs> like if you're that smart? Yeah, yeah. Me, it's yeah. Tessio. Yeah. It's definitely Tessio. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. like, I don't know who it's going to be, but don't worry. I've already figured out that they'll definitely come to the meeting. Like, that doesn't, no, yeah. that's not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. Love it. Love it. All right. You have the second pick. Are you, are you going to go with your guy now or are you still waiting? No, I'm going to go with my guy now. I'm going to choose Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. Yeah, you would you would have you would have had that you could have you could have gone in the fifth round with that. I know. <laughs> but I didn't want to make right. people Ex wait too long. No, I love it. I love that you did that. All right, explain explain your love of Gus. I really believe that Gus had the patience, the foresight, the the will, the 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 there there's a thing where you can't live too large as a gangster and, and expect to have any kind of longevity. And, and <laughs> while he did undo himself, he was, he was undone by, by just a, a psychotic genius. And, and really, if you replayed that entire series in real life a thousand times, I don't think Gus would, would have lost more than two or three more more times. I, I think he was he was just so wow. careful, and and his commitment to the the chicken franchise <laughs> that was the front for this whole thing was was so absolute and resolute that I just think that that, that it was such a long shot for him to be undone, and, and maybe that's what contributed to his his undoing that he felt that he had that he had taken every every precaution. But I, I, I must say that, yeah, maybe a little bit of arrogance, but I, I, I think that he had kept that in, in check for, for so long, the way he dressed, the way he behaved and in, in every, in every way. And I, I just think if I was starting a syndicate, I would feel safe sleeping at night, knowing that, that Gus Frank was, <laughs> was, was leading the, the syndicate. So I, I choose Gus Frank 
second, and and I, I, I defy anybody to pick somebody who's going to do a, a better job than Gus Fring. Somebody might do as, as good a job, but I can't imagine anybody doing a, a better job. There's there's no question that you're going to have to trade him or Michael Curly on. You can't. That, <laughs> right. They, they, no, they would not work both. together. No, you can't no, have. They're both not of working them in, the, in the in the in the same. But I, I think they could initially on the team there could be a Steve Young Joe Montana thing going on where they could learn from each other or a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers thing where they could learn from each other or Willie Mays, McCovey. I think maybe Willie Mays and McCovey, maybe the, maybe the way to, to describe this, this sort of relationship. It's a strong, it's, it's a very, very strong uh, start. There's no question. Your team is, your team is looking uh, very, very solid. Um, <laughs> with my, with my second pick, I I've got so many people on here, but I really, I'm just going to go out of order. Cause I'm going to pick the ones that I want to have on my team rather than worrying about, uh, how good my team is going to be at the end. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to money ball this. Um, so with my second pick overall, I'm going to take, uh, Robert De Niro's Al Capone character. Um, wow. yeah, from the untouchables. And, uh, I'm, I'm taking him obviously for the baseball connection you know he loves he loves yes. his baseball uh, al, yes. al capone as robert de niro loves baseball and uh and and i love that scene and i love that he he keeps he, he keeps saying enthusiasms i love that you know that, that he <laughs> uses that word it's always impressive yes. it's enthusiasms i i love that um and I, you know, and De Niro, to me, the thing that's so fun about that is it's all De Niro has played, you know, gangsters, obviously all of his life. And, 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 and they're a little bit different, you know, actually the, the guy in Casino and the guy in Goodfellas are the same guy, but I mean, the others yes. are a little bit different. Obviously the young Vito is a little, is very different, but that Al Capone, it's almost like they just said to De Niro, look, just be the biggest goofball that you've I mean, just, just, that's it. Just just don't do not hold back just every single thought you would ever have that Al Capone might just do that. So he's out yeah. there just, you know, uh, regaling the press, like, you know, like just being, being, you know, and then, and then beating a guy to death with a baseball bat in another scene and everything about that. He's just so over the top and so wonderful. Uh, so I'm going to go with De Niro's Al Capone. Wow. I, I think that's, a, think? I think that's a great, yeah, I think that's a great choice. <laughs> that's, it's one of my fun. It's, it's a very, very fun one. All right. You have yes. the third pick. Okay. Th- this is an, another obscure one. Well, not obscure, but, but maybe not as, as because it's, it's really Godfather is the, is the, the, the king of these, these things. So, sure. and the Sopranos. So I'm, I'm going with, with another HBO series with with uh, gangsters and and i'm going back to prohibition for for new jersey's own nucky thompson (laughs) steve steve buscemi a lot of people didn't watch boardwalk empire but if you were addicted to the sopranos then then boardwalk empire was a really good methadone it was it was really strong and 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 really well written and and it it was I mean, the detail was just incredible. They were making movies, period piece movies every, every week. (laughs) And, and Nucky had, had a a lot of the strengths of, 
of uh, a Corleone in, in his dealings and a lot of the strengths of a, of a Gus Fring in, in his, his <laughs> dedication to the, to the, to the art form. And, and also he, he lived a, a, a lifestyle and was politically connected and, and realized the, the political nature of, of running organized crime and, and, and the, the charity. And, and I, I I, I really believe that Nucky Thompson, along with Gus Fring, and, and I think Nucky would be the perfect, the perfect consigliere for for Gus Fring in in the long run in my in my crime syndicate, and I I, I, I think that that I think that that is that, that I'm building sort of a, a, a Yankees of of. Uh, the, the the good thing about this is that is that there is no salary cap, so we can pay these guys anything <laughs> we need to, and it's yeah, largely tax free. It is it is almost entirely tax free, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I and plus, Nucky is such a good name. Yes, I think Nucky. Yes, <laughs> yes, really, really a fun name. So uh, yeah, no, I think that's I think Nucky is a is an excellent excellent choice. Um, with my uh, third pick, I am again. I'm going just for people. I just want to take now. Um, I'm going to select uh, Kaiser Sose from the Usual wow. Suspects. Oh my word! <laughs> I had I hadn't even thought of, of Kaiser Sose. Oh my goodness! So so uh, obviously we know Kaiser Sose's strengths as a as a syndicate boss. Uh, clearly, I think I think. The, the 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 idea of being the one thing about all of the um the people that we have selected Michael Corleone a little bit less extreme but Tony Soprano for sure and uh and uh De Niro's Capone for sure and and Gus you know they they want a little they want a little bit of of uh you know respect and they want a little bit of like you know it's it's important to them to get some sort of sense that hey that we all know that's the the guy Kaiser Sose didn't care about that. Didn't care no. about that. Didn't didn't not interested. Not didn't even want anyone to 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 know who he was. Uh and and was brilliant, of course, in that way. Uh problematic later, as we found out. But but in in the moment, uh just an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary uh cruel uh leader uh who would go to any extreme necessary to even do and and, and, and if you've seen Usual Suspects, you realize that the entire movie is sort of based on a very, very flimsy. He, like he went to an unbelievable extremes to do something that probably shouldn't have been that hard to do. Uh, right. If you think about it, right? I mean, like you had to, you had to do all of the, the, the whole movie is sort of built around. And I think that that's fun. And that's part of what makes the movie great is, the extreme some people will go just to even do something that, like I say, probably could have been done in a much more direct and easy way. So I don't want to give anything away. If you haven't seen The Usual Suspects, uh, you need to see it. Uh, but I'm going to go with Kaiser Sose. Oh, I, ca- I can't believe that we have to avoid spoiler alerts because I would I would love to. Well, do we? To... Do we have to avoid it? I don't know. Why, why do we have to avoid spoilers? <laughs> we'll give them a spoiler alert. If you hadn't seen The Usual Suspects, what what is wrong with you? Go go watch it. And I I just I I I think I think he could have been the number one 
pick. I, I, yeah, I really yeah. thought I had it with Gus Fring, but I, I, <laughs> I forgot about looking. He was, he was, he was so brilliant at disguising his form that I didn't, I wasn't even thinking of him <laughs> as a gangster, but he's the, the, maybe the greatest gangster in, in fictional movie history. He was, he was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The guys wow. are so safe. Just powerful, powerful. So yeah. One thing that Mike and I do, by the way, um, we try to do every week is we, we pick a movie to ruin for people. Oh, that's, that's great. Not, not, not in a spoiler way, but like, we'll pick a movie like you've done, you've done this. And one of my favorite bits you do is when you talk about the wizard of Oz, um, <laughs> yes. and we've done that. So we did that with the uh, back to the future. We've done that with, uh, with, uh, Raiders of the lost Ark was a big one. For Mike, you know, you know the whole. I actually had not heard this before. The Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, as wonderful a movie as it is, when you come to the end of it, you realize that the role that Indiana Jones plays is completely insignificant at the end of the day, because you know here are the Nazis. They were looking for for the Ark. Um, he finds the Ark. He brings it back. So if he's not in the movie, they either a never find the Ark, or b they find the ark and but they don't know to open it there they bring it back and they kill hitler so so that basically all indiana jones did at 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 worst was like keep the war going for for oh an extended gosh. period of time so that's, i never thought about yeah, that the ark would have killed hitler <laughs> the ark would have killed hitler that's really would have been a way better ending if you think yes. about it yes <laughs> so so wow uh, yeah so anyway but but i i do if you would so so what is your what is your uh, you love Wizard of Oz though right you love the movie yes. or do you not love it as much anymore No I I always I always loved it and 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 I I I think it's it's I mean so ahead of its of its time in in so many ways and and the story was it was so re- remarkable and it was a musical but it didn't it didn't feel like a musical it just it was it was nearly perfect except that I I felt so bad I I've always been overly sensitive and i felt so bad when near the end dorothy said to the scarecrow i'm going to i'm going to miss you most of all but she said it right in front of lion and tin man who had just risked their lives and i would have i would not have been able to to keep quiet i can't imagine that that the tin man who who had just gotten a heart wasn't wasn't destroyed by that I, i would have been outraged and i and as I always do, when I've ruined more more parties, I would have I would have said something. I would have said, <laughs> "I'm I'm standing right here with my new heart, which is was now broken. You 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 little hick! <laughs> I risked my life for you. You pull him aside. You take him aside. You say, Scarecrow, between you and I, I would never say this in front of the other two because it would destroy them.'" I'm going to miss you more than the others. I, I don't know why we could just connected on a level that I didn't connect with with them. Perhaps it's the the fact that you grew up on a on a farm as as did I. But the the Tin Man and the and the Lion, I I, I love them dearly. But it's it's you who I'm going to miss most of all. Let's keep in touch and and don't wait too long to to visit me. <laughs> love that, love that. It's 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 so true though. It's so true. Yes. Yeah. I mean, come on. Just, it's just really, but you know what? They didn't hold it against her. You have to say that they, they, no, no, they were the, they were the adults. Yeah. (laughs) They were the adults in the room. All right. You have the fourth pick. Okay. With the, with the fourth pick, 
I'm going to go to the wire. Yeah, so you're going to take my guy. Well, I don't. I don't know. Are, are were you going to take Avon Barksdale? No, I wasn't. So you can have Avon. That's good. That's yeah. good. Although Avon is an excellent, excellent character. I think he's an excellent character, and I think he was a, a strong gangster. I, I, I must admit, and I, I don't want to spoil yours. I was thinking of taking Marlo Stanfield, but I feel like he he cannot be w- the the king in wait, and and eventually I think he would he would be it would be sort of a, a Kyrie Irving or a Kobe Bryant situation where he would need the ball, and <laughs> and I I think it would undermine the entire organization, and and as strong a leader as Gus Fring is, I think he would be in a position where he would have to either either abdicate or or kill Marlowe, and then and then I can't get anything from Marlowe. <laughs> That that's really the big issue. The big issue is how are you going to trade him if he's dead? So, exactly. so I'm thinking, yeah, yes. look, I think it's a great pick. I actually, my, I'm not going to pick someone from the wire now. Cause they, cause you did. And, and I think that's okay. great. my pick was going to be Str- uh, Stringer bell. And, and, uh, we've actually had a wire draft on this on this podcast. Oh, actually. really? Yeah, had a wire draft with uh, with Jonathan Abrams, who wrote the book about the wire, which was oh, I loved I loved that book. Isn't I, it I, great? I, yeah, he he did such a great job with it. And have you have you read the the Sopranos book? Yeah, by my good friend Alan Sepinwall, who is a regular on this show, um, and uh, and he's a Yankee fan. So so we have this sort of love hate thing going he's an incredible writer and that sopranos book is wonderful it's uh, it's incredible my only thing is though is that it revealed my age to me oh really yes i need either stronger glasses or i need to read <laughs> with with a magnifying glass because i i wanted it in in book form and right I, I usually get things on my phone and you can adjust the font, but because he packed, I mean, this is the best value in nonfiction out there right now because it's incredibly well-written, but it really could have been a 1600 page book <laughs> Really, because he's, don't you think he used smaller? It is I mean, tiny. it's clear it is, it is that tiny. the font is small. And then he did the, the David Foster Wallace thing where he puts in these incredible footnotes that are as compelling <laughs> as the book itself. And they're even smaller. So I'm taking out my phone and I'm using the flashlight. I'm taking <laughs> pictures and, and it's just, it's, it's such a value, but it made me realize that my eyes aren't as good as I, as I thought they were, but yeah, I couldn't wait for this book to come out. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And, and yeah, uh, in, in I mean, Seppenwall is, is in, incredible. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a Yankee fan. We kill him on this show. I mean, that's we just okay. absolutely kill him because of his Yankee love. But he is a great guy. Oh, and one other thing. So we had our and, and I want. I don't to want that. him to think. I don't want him to think that I'm denigrating the, the book. No, you're 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 saying wonderful things about the book. You love okay. the book. No, this yeah. is wonderful. But I I want a ruling from you. So we had our uh, holiday draft, which uh, which Alan Sepinwall was part of. Nick Offerman. Uh, Linda Holmes, uh, Mike DeCenzo. It was a, it was a good group of uh, of people that we had, and Mike, of course. And the draft was holiday characters. Okay, so okay. That, that was and it was and it was wonderful, and everybody had their their opinions. And with the second or third pick, I guess second pick, Alan Sepinwall picked um, the uh, the the character from um, Groundhog's Day picked uh um whatever the bill murray's character was named 
um, making the argument that I had said it's a holiday draft, so it could be any holiday. Right. He, he came right out of the whole Christmas Hanukkah thing that was clearly it was a December draft. Um, and so we we had a we've had a we've gone back and forth. I think most people feel like he was he was completely out of line, but there are those that that side with him that he he was just playing by the rules. Um, so how how do you feel? What do, what do you think? Well, he's playing by the rules, but I don't I don't know how you 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 win with that. You can't with win. that character. How do you defeat Santa with <laughs> with can't. with him? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that Santa was the the number one. Santa was not the number one pick. Saint Nick was Nick Offerman's second uh, pick, uh, and we sort of kind of counted. It was it was weird. People really went off the board. Like uh, Heatmeister went early. Uh, Heatmeister Heat is, is yeah, yeah, powerful, yeah. but he but he has an arch enemy who's who's equally equally powerful. That's right. Yes, yeah. that's right. So uh, it was it. I don't know how where people stand on the draft, but I think most people stand that Alan Sepinwall was out of line. All right, <laughs> with, with he will be thrilled by the way because we've 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 really uh, pitched his book, and we should because it's it's a wonderful wonderful book. As is Jonathan's uh, book on the wire. Um, Phil with, Connors. I, Phil Connors was the, Phil the Connors, character. That's right. Phil Connors. Well, Needle nose Ned. I sure as heck fire remember you. <laughs> I mean that that's one of the all time. I, I guess co-starring would be how he would be billed, but but I guess because he got to do the scene so many times, he stands out more than any co-star in, in, in movie here's, history. Here's how, here's how good that was. Every time I see that actor, that's literally the only scene I think of. It doesn't matter what yes. show he's in, what movie he's in. Yes. He's, he's needle-nosed uh, Ned. Um, yeah. Ned Ryerson, he's terrific. Ned Ryerson, how many co-stars? How many co-stars do you know the name of their character? Even even easier to remember than Phil Connors. Phil right, Connors, Phil Connors is much tougher. Well, much I always, tougher, but Ned Ryerson. If he had taken Ned Ryerson or the Groundhog, either one of those would have been uh, a tougher pick to to you know sort of mock. You know, to go yes. for Phil Connors. Come on. Yes. Um, <laughs> All right, with my fourth pick, I'm, now I'm going completely off the rails. Uh, I'm taking John Rooney from Road to Perdition. That's the Paul Newman character wow. in Road to Perdition. And, and I'm only taking him for this one scene uh, that I, if you've, if, I assume you've seen it. Most people have seen it. There's the one scene where Paul Newman and Tom Hanks are in the room. And and uh, I don't care about spoiling this one because I don't – I mean, it's, it's a fine movie if you want to see it, but it's fine. Uh, basically – uh, Paul Newman's son had, uh, had, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, wife and son killed. And the whole movie sort of builds off of that. And they're trying to kill each other and all sorts of other fun mayhem. And, uh, anyway, they're in the room and these two guys love each other. He, he had been, Tom Hanks had been, uh, John Rooney's hitman forever and they love each other and they're going in and they're talking about it. And, and, uh, and Tom Hanks says, uh, you know, he, he says, you got to turn your son over. He's like, I'll never turn my son over. And he goes, you know, he murdered my wife and son. And Paul Newman, uh, as John Rooney says, there are only murderers in this room. <laughs> I love, I think about that scene constantly. I love that scene. I just, and I don't even think it's, I don't think it's necessarily that well written or that well set up. It's fine. I just think Paul Newman, that was like everything that a 50 year, like, film career uh all of the characters he'd been all the things he had done 
all of it in one line, the way he just, he just unleashed that one line. So uh, he was probably a pretty good gangster as well, but I'm going to go with John Rooney from Road to Perdition. Oh, that's a terrific one. That's a terrific one. And, and to go into more the, the art, the art film, I am going to go with with Gabriel Byrne's character yes. Tom Regan in in Miller's Crossing. Yes, yes, I had Leo on my list. Okay, yeah, Leo was was fantastic, <laughs> but I just I, I loved Tom the the depth and and the the empathy and and I, I thought he was he was such a such a cool cool guy and it's it's yeah it's definitely where I fell in love with with Gabriel Byrne. The, the interesting thing. <laughs> In the in the movie Usual Suspects, where he plays a gangster, is is that and I and I hadn't thought about this until maybe the the fiftieth time I watched <laughs> Usual Suspects, but the the character that that uh, Chaz Palminteri is is describing, Dave Coulion is describing as Gabriel Byrne's character in the movie. The, what we know of Gabriel Byrne is that he's this sensitive and thoughtful and and man who's trying to turn things around and and has has regrets and is decent and has an ethic and and Coulion describes him as as just being this 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 cold-blooded murderer who's who's murdering left and and right and 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 is a and is a rogue and and i just i i couldn't see that it was so surprising and 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 i guess makes the ending even even more surprising that that he wasn't that he wasn't kaiser soze yeah that's right i it's very um yeah it, well it's great because he i mean those are two of my favorite movies and two of my favorite characters uh played both by gabriel Byrne and in the in in the in the Coen Brothers movie, Miller's Crossing, you know, clearly the whole idea is that Gabriel Byrne is like, you know, that's the I don't stick my neck out for nobody, you know, right. character, right? And yes. then and then yes. he plays a completely different kind of gangster, and the you know, it's like I've changed, and really I've changed, and yes, and, uh, it's great. It's it, it, the depth of that actor is uh, yes is amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, and and just a, a great face, and and yeah, I, I I mean he's he's as underrated as they come. He is. He absolutely is. All right, with my fifth pick, what I was going to do is I was going to just pretend like I wasn't going to take anybody from The Godfather. Then I was just going to take Vito with my fifth pick because <laughs> that really is pretty strong. Because I get because Vito, I get the young Vito, the the Robert De Niro Vito, the you know yes. The, the you know the the guy by the way he was making his bones making his bones but by the way what about that scene where he refuses to give uh the guy the money right he refuses to give him all the money he gives him like a little bit and he don fanucci right right? he gives he gives don fanucci like you know whatever a 100 or 200 when he wanted 300 or whatever he wanted i don't remember the exact numbers but he he wants to he, he wants all the money gives him part of it and he goes hey i you know there's only so much money under my hat and he goes, hey, you know, give me a break or whatever. And somehow Don Fanucci is impressed. He's like, oh, you're going places. Like, did that make sense to you? Like, what what did he see in him in that he was cheaping out? What that he was that he was willing to stand up to him? That he was willing to like what was what was what what what, what Don Fanucci as a like talent scout for gangsters? What did he actually see in the young in the young uh, uh, Don Corleone? Well, I'm I'm not sure. I'm just I'm just thinking that it, it it sort of showed what it took to stay on top which is you you 
you couldn't you couldn't be so so open to to the the younger guys if you wanted to stay on top you would have to kill somebody who you saw as having having potential and yeah. and ultimately that's what undid he he actually even though you would think well he did, he wasn't underestimating him he completely underestimated <laughs> him and and it was his his downfall it, it just showed you that that those guys you can and and is sort of the to me one of the one of the themes of the of the Sopranos is that whether he died or whether he didn't die at the end and the, and the book seems to say that 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 they they felt that 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 was a a death scene it was it was it was which I labeled don't a, a which I don't agree scene. with I don't agree with it I don't think it was a death scene yeah I don't but think. either way his life for for anybody of of normal makeup. Would would be in, insufferable. Looking over your shoulder, thinking you were going to be gunned down in front of your kids at a at a, a at a diner, and for what? A McMansion and a and a and a, a Lexus. It, it it wasn't. I mean, you could you could sacrifice a, a lot to have the lifestyle of of Michael Corleone, but to right, right. to live in 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 Jersey, and he, he he had to drive himself around. It just it just was it wasn't it wasn't worth all the all the second guessing. And they're looking around and over your shoulder. It, it just it just wasn't a fair trade off. That's a great point. That's a great point. Do you know the theory? Do you know the? I mean, I, I, I've seen it in a few different places. Uh, that the theory that the last scene in the in the uh, in the in the uh, Sopranos is the, the 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 person who dies in that scene is you, the audience. Like that's like that's what the oh, scene is. Wow. That, I love that. Yeah. Theory. I love it. I love it. And I've seen people go into real depth in it and all that. And, and I've decided that I'm, I'm with, I don't even know. It might even be too out there for the creator or whatever, but I love that. I love the idea that you've been allowed to watch this, this, you know, this, this whole story for six years, but there comes at a cost and your cost is your debt at the end. And yeah. uh, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. So I I love the 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 nature of criticism and culture that if if you do good work, then people will read genius into every That's single. Right. That's right. Fact about it, even in your your life. I remember reading a. A biography of of one of those slapdash money grab biographies of Jerry Seinfeld when I was first starting comedy, and and they tell a story of him having a, a really large piece of cake on his birthday, and they said even then he knew what he wanted and he wouldn't settle <laughs> for less. And 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 I remember thinking to myself, oh my god, this is, this is completely completely absurd, and there's no proof of this. And he could have just been either obnoxious or like any kid, he was going to take as big a piece as 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 he could get his hands on. And and it's just it's just wonderful if you if you put in the effort. People will read genius into every single single choice you you make, and 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 I just it's and it's so interesting. But but I'm not sure that David Chase chose that, but it, it's he's I capable of a, of a he's choice. Certainly like that. capable. Yeah. And, by, and by the way, once he's done it, especially if he's not going to tell us, uh, we can decide what we want, right? We can make our own choice. Yes, I actually read a story once about uh, it was some sort of I, I think it was like I think it was a race uh, NASCAR story, and it was about a a driver and his crew chief, I think. But it was about two people in in sports who had were connected in some way, and the writer had written the story to try to show how oddly similar they were. 
And uh, I guess that the writer got to ride with each of them in their car, a rental car, and and made the point, well, the first thing that each of them did was they took the rental car agreement and put it in the glove compartment. And <laughs> they used this like as like, a, well, you know, that just shows you look how weird that they would both do. And I'm like, who doesn't do that? Like every yes. human does that. That's that doesn't that does not connect them in any way. They're human. That's why they did that. That's I always thought that was really when, strange. when they were designing the glove compartment. <laughs> and, and I don't know when it when it happened. There was actually no use for it in, initially. The, the, I don't know how it became the glove compartment, but but somebody said when they were designing it, just in case somebody wants to rent one of these someday, they'll have a place to put the the contract. Exactly, exactly. Yes. That's the yes. only so, use for it. Yeah, that's so absurd. I, I I I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if there's like a term for the genius you'll read into people once they establish themselves in, into into genius. One thing that I wanted to to point out for the listeners is that if if you think that this exchange is contrived or that people don't really talk like this this is very similar to the to the seven hour lunch that we had in charlotte with alex edelman and tommy tomlinson the the, the i i don't know if every conversation comes down to these these points but if if men had their their druthers they would they would do some sort of draft of non-draftable <laughs> things at every meeting but i i, I just my gosh our our lunch it lasted a really long time and it, and it wasn't long enough. That, that was one of my favorite. It was lunches. such a blast, such a blast. Yeah. All right. I'm yeah. not taking, I'm not going to take Vito Corleone on my fourth, my fifth pick though. Uh, Cause I have two other choices. Uh, one is Sonny, the gangster from Bronx tale, the Chaz Palmentary character. Uh, love a him. Great one. Love him. Yes. Love him. Yes. And uh, you know, there's, there's a gangster with a, with a heart, right? There's, 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 yes. a heart. but then you find out he's not the greatest guy, but he's got heart, you know? Yes. Uh, did not choose Sonny. I am going with my fifth pick. Uh, I am going to take Jules uh, from Pulp Fiction. Um, wow. You know, just cause he's the scariest uh, gangster ever. Uh, I, I would think if I was, so I've got my, you know, my syndicate, I've got my people running it. I would think I I want Jules. I want that's the guy I want. If I'm going to send somebody out, and by the way, I would not send the Travolta character out at all. No, no, right? No, totally nope. worthless. No, he doesn't know how to hold a gun. <laughs> he doesn't. He yeah. doesn't. It's like they're, 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 he does not inspire any kind of anything. I mean, you're just you look at him and you're like, dance. I mean, that's all you. Th- I mean, there's there's, yes. there's no. But Jules, that's that's I. No matter how many times I see that scene, uh, it's scary. It's a yes. that's scary. It's there. It's incredible. He's he's witty. He would be fun to have around. He also <laughs> he also has an 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 ethic, and he has a, a decency in that. As as and and I'll tell you what my my most hated character, even more than than Zed. In 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 Pulp Fiction, my most hated character was was Jimmy, uh, the Quentin Tarantino character. Oh my god! Who, who 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 was so racist and so mean to Jules, and and I just wish Jules had just just beaten him senseless. And and he he was just I I didn't trust him at, at all. He was and, and it, yeah, it just turned out he was his, the closest person who was in the eight one eight area code, uh, or, or or exchange, and and so I, I hated Jimmy, but Jules, 
cared about what happened to the towels. He cared about <laughs> Jimmy's marriage. And Jimmy was not even a good friend. So imagine what he would do for you if he was your, your good friend. And, and he was just, yes, he was, he was outstanding. I really. He was great. Really he, he totally could have killed those two guys in the diner, right? I mean, the two. They, 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 yes, they, absolutely. They, he's like, you know, and of course he'd gone through the whole conversion or whatever. But that, yes. it's like no need. Like, if he had to kill he killed in in ruthless and and extraordinarily frightening fashion but yes. he wasn't going out of his way to kill he wasn't looking to kill people just yes, did what he, he had, had to do he had panache i really <laughs> yes jules winfield is a great choice and and yes he's not going to lead your your syndicate but he he's a, a terrific soldier i think he's a terrific soldier a terrific soldier so there's our draft people will tell us by the way this is one of the things i didn't mention at the beginning uh, people will tell us who won this draft. <laughs> they, they, they will. They're, they, they, people are very, very, and they have strong. And I think you have an excellent chance. Your top two picks uh, alone put you in an excellent position. But I did get Kaiser Sose. So that's the whole thing is that I don't, I don't know that that the the force of my of my my picks could unseat Kaiser Sose. He was the best. <laughs> he was the best one of the draft. And when you and when you got him was was really impressive. I, I th- had I been had I been thinking straight, I guess I, I would have taken him. For, he really should have been the first pick in the draft, and it shouldn't have even been close. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 a powerful, powerful character. So, all right, so we always end this thing uh, with one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael or Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. That is exactly what the phrase says it absolutely some goofy thought that that you would like to share uh do you have one do you have a one last meaningless thing for us i'm i'm trying to think of my one last meaningless thing because there is there is so much meaninglessness in, in the <laughs> body of my the body of my work and so i don't this is either meaningless or it's meaningful, okay. and and it's and it's something that that occurred to me recently. And there was actually it was a New York Magazine front cover, and it was saying that the the a lot of the Matrix things that we had pawned off as science fiction have actually come true, and that there's a, there's a possibility. And I forget who the who the technology expert or philosopher, whoever it was, was saying that the that that I, I can't remember who said it, but he said there was only a one in one billion chance that we were not in a a computer simulation of, of real life. Okay, so that so that basically we're in a computer simulation of real life, and so I I, I found two things that that indicate that that we are, and and so this may be the most meaningful thing that ever gets out there or the most <laughs> meaningless. So one is, I think, 
my, my, my theory, and I, and I, I haven't done this on, on stage, so, so don't think that I'm pimping you with, <laughs> with joke ideas. No, because no. I, I think that's unethical. So I, I, I believe that, at least in my case, I am in a computer simulation run by a, a very sadistic teen <laughs> who, who wants to see what kind of pain psychological and and otherwise pain he can put me through and and he's he's given me a really good run lately and i'm very grateful to this to this team who i what maybe i'll call him zach which is a pretty good guess for for that is a good guess. name these days so so zach is, has given me a, a nice run and i'm i'm just very grateful for this but the, the, so there are coincidences that make me think that he wants us to know that he's running things. The other thing is 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 frame stores. Okay, so here's my idea on why frame stores indicate why we are in a, a <laughs> computer simulation. So frame stores are in just about every strip mall, and yep. I I go into one once every seven or eight years, and I never go in on the road because you never want to frame anything when you're on the road. That would be absurd to travel with something frames so for the most part they're just for for local people and sure. so when they're designing this computer simulation they have to put up a lot of buildings and strip malls are so repetitive that they're sort of like the back remember when you would watch the flintstones as a kid and you would say oh my gosh he's got this enormous living room but he's running by the same <laughs> painting over and over again because it took time and expense to draw uh, different rooms in the in the Flintstone house. So he would run by this painting over and over again, and it was it was very funny to me as a kid when I when I picked up on that. So I think that that mini malls are the the painting in the back of the Flintstones of this this computer simulation, and the frame stores. I guess the mini mall is the wall and the frame stores are sort of the, the painting. The issue is, is that they don't have enough people to populate a lot of the stores. So the frame store, they make it so that you don't want to go in there very often. They just want you to know, go in frequently enough so that you can remember how ridiculously expensive it is to frame something. And then you, it's only when you forget how expensive they are that you have to go back in there and, and you decide, I, I don't need to, I don't actually need to frame this because I'd rather pay rent this month. And, and so then the people who work in the frame store can actually go back to the Starbucks, which I think of as the, the power pellets in the Pac-Man simulation game, that we need this thing to keep us going. And that's the, that's the coffee in the restaurants. And they use most of their, their, their agents to to man restaurants and and groceries and and Starbucks. So that's the meaningless the meaningless idea. Is that is that in the spirit of the meaningless idea? It is, it, it, it's not only the spirit. It is it is now the prototype for what the oh, meaningless okay. thing is okay, going to be. Good. No, that is that exactly exactly what it is. Um, the the absurdity of the, here's the thing I don't understand about frame stores. I mean it's 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 all true how expensive it is in these frame stores and and but here's here's sort of my question because we did get something framed um not that long ago it's probably been whatever eight months ago or whatever we got something framed we went into the frame store and of course you get that sticker shock price 
it takes still like two weeks to frame something after at that cost. It's still they still like, oh, we'll get it back to you by like, you know, middle of February. And you got to be kidding me. How, how long yeah. does it take to frame something if you're going to charge? Why? Why has nobody ever come up? They, they, they make glasses in an hour. You telling me they can't yes. frame something in it's, an hour. And come by on. the way, I know I'm the only person who's been in there this month. And and they're so backlogged <laughs> with framing things that they're they're going to take some time to get to it. The the most common exchange in a frame store, by the way, is is this one in which the customer says, "Okay, and that's with the fifty percent off discount." <laughs> You're telling me it was going to be twice that if I hadn't had a coupon. <laughs> That really is. They should do what they should do is they should do uh, the car thing. They should like you get to frame something. They should show you the first cost and go, ah, ah let me take 50 percent off of that. Like it's just, yes. so you can see yes. what that's for really four hundred and ninety seven dollars to frame this. Is that no, no. Two hundred and forty-eight. Oh well, now it oh seems reasonable. Yeah. yeah, it seems less <laughs> ridiculous. But I have this this young Frankenstein movie <laughs> cinema poster that was like, and I and I, I didn't want to go to a to a chain frame store. I went to a, a local one, and and sure. I feel much better about doing that because those guys are more artistic and and work with you better. But yeah, it was seven hundred dollars, and I I oh bought the poster God. on eBay for like for like twenty dollars it's worth it because i will say that the frame does make it you tack it up on the wall and, and you're an animal but right if, if a good frame can, can really make it that's outrageous price though that's outrageous what kind of glass is that they're using uh, i have i have no idea but i i know that it can also be used at a at a 24-hour pawn shop to protect the owners <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. My one last meaningless thing. I actually mentioned a little bit on this on Twitter. I'm just going to just do this. I am not good at many things. Like, like I, I try to think about something. I, I used to be, I still am. Uh, but I was very good friends with a guy named Melvin Stewart, who was uh, the winner of the uh, Olympic gold medal in the 200 meter butterfly in uh, 1992. And oh my word. which is awesome. Oh my it, word. It, it's the toughest stroke. Oh I yeah. Think. It's the, the most brutal. He, he used yeah. to talk about the pain. It was amazing. And, and uh, I used to tell him, I said, you know, here's to me is the coolest part. Cause this would not be the thing he would consider the coolest part. But my thought was you could walk into any bar in the world and say, anybody want to race 200 meter butterfly? And you, you know, you'd win. Like, you know, that you are truly the best person in the world at that thing. Like that thing is like, so I always think like, is there anything that I am certainly not, I'm certainly not the best in the world at anything, but is there anything that I'm like close to the best in the world at, at and literally anything. And I've determined that I, even though it's, I'm not the best at it, I think the closest I am to being the best at something is stepping on and off those airport uh, moving sidewalks. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I'm really good at that. I am re- I can do it in stride. <laughs> <laughs> I never stumble. I, 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 I know all the etiquette. I mean, just stand to the right, walk. To, I, I got the whole thing down. Uh, when I come off of that thing, I just spring 
off of the edge. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like I'm really good at that. That is such a great skill, but unlike, <laughs> un, I mean, you you have to give Melvin such credit for not using his his superpower to hustle people, <laughs> because it's so clear that if you were able to monetize your ability to get off the the, the moving sidewalk, that you would use oh, it to to no win money. Yes, it's 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 cl- clear that you're not true to this art form, and, and that you would take advantage of of people there was one of my favorite episodes of get a life with chris elliott was when he he was uh exposed to to some uh, i think it was nuclear fallout or some sort of sort of sort of toxic waste and he became a, a genius and he knew everything and he used this genius to win spelling bees throughout the world <laughs> and and most spelling bee prizes are just a, a trophy and he went all over the world and and my favorite line was when he complained about all the bee groupies <laughs> yeah so I, I i i i'm going to for our next time we we speak i'm going to try and think of something that i'm better than anyone <laughs> in the in the the world at i i just yeah, that's that's such a great one though. The moving sidewalk. I I this is sort of a humble brag. I don't use the moving sidewalk <laughs> that that much, so my skill is not that is not that great. Only if I'm really running late will I use the the moving sidewalk. Do you but just it, but it is, do you just uh, just say no, or is it is it more because I'm you want the full exercise? I want the I want the full exercise. I, I guess, and and <laughs> also I, I I also know that I become infuriated when people don't know how to how to where to stand on the on the moving walkway, and and yeah, they're just there's there's so so dense on the moving walkway. Well, I I know that you have something. I know there's something that you do better than anybody else, or at least you don't have to be in the if you're in the top one percent in the world. That that qualifies as so something that oh, you really? yeah I think so I mean if you're if you basically are top I don't know tenth to one percent maybe or something I mean like let's be honest I mean I say that but there could be a guy in Guatemala who can just absolutely just blow me away on the moving sidewalk so right, you know I, I just I know that I'm the best in in my sphere that's that's basically yeah. what I understand so you figure that out. Uh, in the meantime, I would, I would uh, uh, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. I would ask. Oh, such a pleasure. Oh, it was just like hanging out with you, which which I can't get enough we of. We can't so, get enough, yeah. no. But let me tell uh, our listeners, uh, follow Gary on on uh, Twitter. And what is, is it Gary Gullman? Is that the actor? Yes, yeah, yes. Gary Gullman. One L in Gullman. Listen to what, G-A-R-Y-G-U-L-M-A-N. You know what Gary does on Twitter? This is unbelievable. Gary is giving out every day a uh, tips. A tip uh, for for to make yourself a better comedian, right? This is. A, am I describing the tip fairly? Is that yes, yeah. yes. It's, initially, I think I wanted it to be writing tips, and then I, I I thought it needed to be broader, so it sort of morphed into just tips to be a better a better comedian. So I, yeah, it started as a as a whim, and and it's it's gotten better better reaction than I had, I had imagined. It's fantastic. And it crosses over well beyond comedy in my view, of course, as a writer, oh, so. it does. It's, 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 uh, it's really about trying to, uh, uh, try to be excellent. I think that's what it's about. And, and it's, it's really cool. And, uh, and Gary's going to probably now you're, are you going to be hitting the road in, in, in a while, I imagine getting back on tour. Um, yes. And yes, uh, I have a, a, a tour and you saw, 
you saw the show I'll be doing in, in Charlotte. It's called The Great Depression. Yes. is the, the name of the, the show. And it's a, a, a very funny memoir of my battle and victory over depression and, and anxiety. So that that's, that's, and, and, but, but it's not a, it's not a bummer, right? Not Joe? a bummer, not a bummer. Okay. It's, it's, it's absolutely hilarious, but it is, it is more than a comedy show. I mean, it really is. It's more than not that, not that there's anything wrong with being a comedy show, but it's more, it's, it's deeper. It's, there's so much, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, we, it was, Knowing Gary and then seeing the show, uh, you know, it's it's it, even even knowing him and, and all of that, it was still uh, mind blowing how wonderful and great it is. So that he will be bringing that uh, close to you wherever you are listening. Uh, so where, go to GaryGoldman.com. Is that where you're going to have the. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's where all the tour dates are. And there are links to, to buy tickets. Yes, yeah. Thank okay. you for doing that. I really appreciate of that. Course, thank you. Of course. And thank you. And you were always welcome to come back. Uh, so all I can say is. Uh, Thanks so much. Oh, thanks, Joe.